0: Hi, welcome to The Kicker. I'm Kyle Pope, editor and publisher of the Columbia Journalism Review. This week, the coverage of the insurrection at the Capitol. So it's now been a couple of days since this extraordinary chain of events in Washington, in which a slew of Trump supporters made their way into the Capitol, vandalized it. Several people were killed, and it's become a sort of turning point for Mm -hmm. the views of the president and of his supporters and is now at, at the end of the week leading for calls for him to step down immediately. What's notable to me about this chain of events is how much, on the one hand, a lot of people who really follow far right movements sort of were warning about this and predicting it for months, but how a lot of that warning wasn't showing up in a lot of the mainstream press. So that's what we wanted to sort of pick apart. I'm thrilled to be joined today by Alexander Reed Ross, who's a a doctoral fellow at a social justice think tank called the Center for Analysis of the Radical Right and at Political Research Associates. And he's a adjunct professor at Portland State University where he teaches on climate change and resource conflicts. And Davey Alba, who's a technology reporter who covers disinformation uh, for the New York Times. Thank you both for coming. Thanks Thanks for for
1: having
0: us. Alexander, pick up on what I was saying about how predictable this was to people like you who have been really following these movements for a while.
2: The writing was completely on the wall. Um, I was stunned at the absence of a a really strong law enforcement presence. Mm -hmm. Um, Everybody knew that there was going to be some kind of attempt, right? But In my history, sort of looking at protest movements, these are pretty easily uh, rebuffed by uh, law enforcement. And you just saw this massive overpowering um, and a very kind of uh, understaffed uh, presence of the Capitol Police there defending one of the the most important buildings in the entire world. Um, So you know, I said in an article beforehand that, you know, this could look like a putsch, what we're about to see, um, but barring a systemic, you know, failure of policing and political will, you know, this is just going to be the disgraceful cap on a failed presidency. And um, there was a systemic failure of policing, but fortunately there was not a failure of political will. So I think it was partly surprising Um, it was predictable (laughs) and, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm glad that he's conceded at this point.
0: You know, this notion of, uh, how much of what these people do in terms of their planning is out in the open has sort of astonished me in the last couple of days because people like you and reporters who cover this were like, yeah, this is all, it's on Facebook. It's on parlor. I mean anybody who wants to know what they're planning it's very easy to track, so they're like operational security is not a thing for this community of people
2: well, they don't have to have it right they don't need it they're being encouraged they're being mm-hmm. encouraged out in the open, so why would they bother? You know they think that they are um they're invincible, and you know they have the backing of the President of the United States. And in some cases, this was an all-or-nothing gambit, right? They are, they're, you know, in it to win it, and, you know, I think that that feeling was very much present among the participants, right? That this is the last-ditch, desperate uh, effort. But they also do it with this kind of lunacy, right? With this kind of um, lack of faithful planning and consideration such that ultimately, you know, it was destined to fail. Mm. Um, and, you know, as a result, we just get chaos. And, and that is sort of, in some ways, the nature of a putsch.
0: Right. So, Davey, you, you follow this world pretty closely. You are a regular contributor to this recurring feature in the Times that kind of debunks nonsense um, mm-hmm. um, that surfaces online. When you started seeing the feeds of the takeover of the Capitol and the photographs and video of these people, how many of them did you sort of recognize from this world? I mean, was it like, (laughs) is this like the, the, the hall of fame of like ultra right-wing nationalist neo-Nazi personhood?
1: Yes and no. Um, and only no because there are so many of them. So many yeah. of these disinformation peddlers and so many people who get on these platforms aiming in a lot of cases for the kind of notoriety um, of appearing in photographs like this. So there have been a handful that I've recognized. Um, some include you know, a prominent QAnon supporter um, Mickey Willis of Plandemic Fame he was the guy who produced the uh, um coronavirus uh, documentary oh yeah <laughs> um mm-hmm. full of yeah. falsehoods about about the virus called Pandemic that went absolutely viral in, yeah. in 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 the summer um you know there's there's a bunch of folks who have been traced to um Antifa pages that are aiming to expose known neo-Nazi players
0: mm-hmm. uh
1: and and just a bunch of people. I mean it it's it was a convergence of so many groups MAGA supporters, QAnon followers, the Proud Boys who are, you know, white supremacist, um mm-hmm. uh extremists, and Boogaloo as well. Um, just the convergence of, of groups was um apparent in physical form when we saw pictures and documentation at, at the Capitol.
0: And do you agree with what Alexander said, which was that this was completely telegraphed, you know, that, that, that anybody who was following this very closely would have known that this was going to happen and it was going to happen at this scale? Um, were you among those people? Were you watching these conversations and were like, wow, this, this, this thing is going to be big?
1: Yeah, I, I think I'm a little more forgiving of people who didn't exactly know this was going to be the event that um, happened. You know, the the one thing I can say with all certainty is that we've known for years that online misinformation and disinformation can translate to real life consequences. And yeah. this is one of the starkest examples of that that we've seen in a while. Um, you know, I I wrote stories about this, you know, the danger of this potentially happening. And I wrote a piece about um, uh, violence being stoked ahead of election day. And at that point, people were specifically talking about election day. And there have been a bunch of other dates, as well. Um, After the election, you know, calls to, to uh, congregate outside voting sites, vote, vote counting sites, Calls to, um, you know, gather when there's some um, imminent court ruling on one of the Trump campaign's legal challenges against the election. Um, so, you know, this specific day there was a rally that was that was being called for, but we'd seen so many dates sort of like come and go, yeah. and I guess in all that time it was building. Um, I think it's kind of unconscionable that people were not prepared for the possibility, but the possibility has been around as a steady drumbeat for some time now.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've been really curious to ask you um, about what it's like being a staff member of the New York Times engaging with these people, which I assume you do online, right? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, there was an extraordinary piece that your paper ran today from these journalists who were in the capital and who were um, attacked, and, and and I'm just sort of wondering, like, how do you what 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 level of of harassment do you get, and how how seriously do you take it, or do you sort of view it as like it's just par for the course, and you go and you move on?
2: Ah, uh,
1: so this past week I've been kind of gripped with anxiety every time I've woken up. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just anxiety
0: about what, what exactly?
1: Anxiety about, I think it it's just the complete and utter disappointment in what has come to pass, not anxiety for myself specifically. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, for myself specifically being a reporter covering this stuff, you're right, I do have to engage with these people um mostly the quote unquote influencers um, mm-hmm. who peddle this disinformation um, and have to reach out to them for comment. Um, those it's an absolute cycle. You know, I I reach out, they will post something on their own platforms saying, How dare this New York Times reporter question me and calling for their followers to send me messages. Uh, and that just happens routinely to the point that I am getting um, the sense that this is par for the course. Um, there have been scary uh, incidents where um, I've been told by a representative of one of these big tech platforms that I should contact the FBI because there's this you know, threat um, mm-hmm. against me. Um, uh, there have been people who have been Issued direct threats, um, but you know we have a security team in place for this stuff um, yeah. that are constantly assessing how how grave the threat is, and you know it's 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 also just um, a matter of hoping that it won't take as much of a psychological toll as as uh, it could possibly take on you as a reporter. Um, so I'm kind of learning and strengthening all those muscles and skills at this point. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, you know, mistrust in the media. And in some cases, calling for direct action against the media is absolutely a facet of the movement um, that believes that the election has been stolen. So it's a present. Um, I assume
0: it's made worse by the fact that you're female. For you. Yeah.
1: Um, yes, female and a person of color. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it manifests in kind of funny ways sometimes, like when people don't actually know that they won't look up who I am or what I look like or whatever. They just see my name and assume I'm a guy. And so mm-hmm. they refer to me as he, him, you know, uh, in this funny way, revealing what who they believed to be worthy adversaries, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and and in other, you know, instances, they do actually look into who I am and uh, know that I grew up in the Philippines and threaten my family mm-hmm. in the Philippines or say things like, you know, go home. We don't want you here. How can you be trusted to be reporting on these issues? Um, you're not a real American. <laughs> All these things um, uh, that I kind of find ridiculous at this point and just um, try to let slide off my back.
0: Yeah. Um, Alexander, what do you, uh, I mean, you 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 study these people, you write about them, but you are a bit removed from the day-to-day coverage. Um, how do you assess how, and let's, let's not make this about, certainly about Davey or The Times, but in general, and not specialist digital outlets, but just the the sort of big mainstream media in general. What is your sense of how much people have their sort of arms around this world and are able to communicate what's happening?
2: That's a really good question. Um, you know, I think a lot of publications are kind of a little bit overwhelmed um there there is a lot that happens every day and uh often you know a story that's extremely relevant about the far right gets bumped because you know Trump does something else that's completely outlandish and all the coverage goes to him right so it's difficult to to sort of drill down and get a really uh sort of fine-grained analysis um when Trump is constantly taking up the headlines and you know, I think that it's it's what the the thing that's significant about that is that you have to separate Trump from his movement ideologically, because Trump might believe certain things and have certain ideological commitments that he's telegraphing to his uh, to his uh, constituents and to his movement, um, while they take up somewhat different positions in response. And so there's a kind of like a reflexive ideological network that emerges where Trump can distance himself at times from Trumpism. Um, and I think that is a little a nuance that is extraordinarily difficult to track. And it's extraordinarily <laughs> difficult to really like, have your finger on the pulse of while you're sort of just, you know, racing to stay on top of all the developments. Um, Yeah.
0: What is your sense of how much these people care about what's in the New York Times or the Washington Post or uh, on CNN, or are they so stuck in their own media worlds that they're sort of apart from it?
2: I think that it's really funny. Like, the alt-right had a certain gamesmanship when it came to the mainstream media and they cared a lot what the Washington post and the New York times would say about them. Um, but they crashed and burned in Charlottesville. Like they were so consumed with optics that mm-hmm. when they actually did sort of rear the ugly face of, uh, you know, charlatanism and fascism in the streets, um, it totally burst their bubble and Are we talking
0: it, about sort of Richard Spencer and yes, that world. Okay.
2: Exactly. Exactly. You know, that was Charlottesville was meant to be their coming out party. That was meant to be where you could show David Duke's face on the news, you know, mm-hmm. again <laughs> and and have it not be this, you know, extremely reviled character. Mm-hmm. Um and it failed. It just failed so miserably that mm-hmm. they had to kind of tuck their tail between their legs and skulk away from really the, the Trump coalition. Um, And so, you know, what, what did they do after that? They kind of went into this kind of QAnon, I'm talking about the Trump coalition. They kind of went into this sort of weird QAnon rabbit hole, which, which really was like a total dedication to an echo chamber that made no sense outside of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was sort of, uh, I don't want to say a downward spiral because you can't downward spiral from rock bottom, but it was a sort of like a a, a spiral into um, a a convoluted, you know, self-absorption uh, that, you know, increasingly ran away from the light, as it were. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: um, <laughs> so, Davey, what is the relationship now with Trump and do they feel abandoned
1: I don't think so because there were so many moments of um you know sort of the the opportunity to get disillusioned by his loyal followers and perhaps some did and dropped off but really not too many you know obviously when he lost the election that would have been the point in which people would drop off of this um Um, belief, but so many people still showed up on January 6th at the Capitol to show their support for Trump. And a bunch of misinformation is now swirling around those events, um, including that the rioters on the Capitol were actually in TIFA and not pro-Trump supporters. Um, Yeah, I saw that you wrote about
0: that. You wrote about this Washington Times piece that tried to right.
1: Yes. Um, And, um, you know, I'm I'm writing about uh, some more some more rumors that have been swirling since, um, including that the mob's actions were set up in an inside job, that President Trump knew the mob would happen and people should trust the plan and hold the line, um, you know, and and that people uh, expect to see Trump Declassify information on how the election was stolen. Uh-huh. Uh, so there's these people are absolute true believers in this, and you know the numbers might be shrinking by a little, but I think not a lot at all. And a lot of the people are not disillusioned. They're just, you know, they've already thrown um, their hat into this camp, and there's Mostly nowhere else to go, but to just like double down
0: so Alexander this is having to do with the relationship between them and Trump and so is Trump even Is Trump required to stay in the picture for this to stay a thriving movement or 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 not?
2: I think he kind of does really I think um, without Trump you know, there's going to be a serious disaggregation that happens. Um, The coalition is the Trump coalition, really. And it's, you know, he sort of leads the ideology. Um, He cements the kind of uh, the combination of fascist and far right groups who have um, sort of come to a consensus that even if there's not going to be like a fascist government, there could at least be an authoritarian administration that could move the U.S. towards that and that maybe they would fall apart and argue once they're uh, done destroying Antifa or whatever. Um, so without him doing that, um, the activity isn't really feasible anymore. And at what you were seeing um, in the days before January 6th was an increasing number of accounts including proud boy accounts insisting there's no political solution mm-hmm. it's an Im- important phrase for fascists because it really draws a line in the sand and it says you know we're done playing games here right mm-hmm. and and um for them uh i mean obviously they weren't playing games in the first place but it, it was a direct response to a loss of political power and the return, really, of an anti-government far-right as opposed to a pro-sovereignty you know, uh, far-right that was elated at having a foothold in the highest office of the United States. So without I've that...
1: I've actually... I... I, I just wanted to jump in and say that I've actually seen some chatter online now of a splitting of the Republican party into a third um, possible party called the Patriot party who are going to be Trump supporters. Um, and mm. I mean, it, it it kind of feels logical at this point.
2: Yeah, totally, I've seen that too. I've definitely seen that too. Um, and it'll be really interesting to kind of track what happens um, but I think just it like almost
0: sounds like Alexander based on what you're saying that, that if 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 those of us on the outside if our hope is to sort of avoid like really widespread violence it's actually good that they have some kind of political hook to hang on to right otherwise to your to your point like what, what's what is there left other than just sort of throw bombs and shoot people
2: right and that's what we see uh, generally with the um Disintegration of a organized fascist movement. Um, it's exactly what happened after Unite the Right. Um, basically, people sort of threw in the towel on uh, political entryism. You know, at that point, it was like, you know, we've gotten this far, and we probably can't go any further. So, you know, it's time to. Uh, organize assassinations and bombings and that sort of thing. Um, and that is probably what we'll be seeing more of in the coming years. Um, but, you know, I mean, the the third party thing, I wouldn't say it'd be... Uh, I, I don't know it's it's hard to to qualify like good or bad how they organize because they can do a lot of damage politically, as mm-hmm. we saw with their support of trump and and really energizing his base.
1: It's really scary to hear you talk about kind of the way that people might be um, resorting to actions like extremist actions that um could play on media because I think. It really can't be overstated how much this movement is just sort of gunning for airtime on cable networks and on Instagram and Facebook and YouTube. And so much of their actions when it was tied to Trump who held the highest office in the land could be aired because they were followers of Trump. And so now that they don't have him what can they do for attention to keep being relevant on these platforms? And that's a really scary thought to me. Um, I think that's one of the hallmarks it's of
0: exactly. It's one of, ter- of the endemic. Terrorism.
1: Well, yes, <laughs> I wasn't going to go there, but yeah, um, I was going to say it's one of the endemic um, features of this movement is this sort of mugging
0: for attention. Well, what is your, both of you, and David, let's start with you, I mean, what is your sense of their capacity for sort of more extreme violence?
1: I think it'll be isolated events, possibly, like the mobbing of the Capitol in the future. Um, You know, there have been... Over the past four years, these isolated events that we have seen, um, including Charlottesville, including what happened this week. And I think it will be more of the same things like that. And I hope it will be as infrequent as that. That's that's kind of a dark statement because two in four years, and you know, I'm sure I'm forgetting some other incidents that have not sort of gripped the nation as much as these these ones have um i think it'll be kind of that frequency and um level of um uh destruction and and violence
0: alexander do you agree with that
2: yeah absolutely um i mean i'm kind of uh stuck thinking about you know this sort of like Nashville bombing and the uh you know Oklahoma City bombing and that sort of thing um it's hard to wrap your head around it uh but i think that um Nashville was, excuse me was a warning um mm-hmm. as 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 nuts as that sounds um the person who did it i think clearly planned to uh speak for you know the movement like davy was saying and uh and broadcast uh that there was uh, a corner being turned you know and um there was no going back and yeah i think uh it depends on the kind of legislation being passed and um and what different sort of uh micro-celebrities on the far right say and how they respond. But I do think that um, we could see Oklahoma City type of bombings as well as obviously, yes, the uh, state capital uh, takeovers and things like that. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot also depends on law enforcement's reactions. So I think there are a lot of relationships that are up in the air and, um, those dynamics are going to sort of, um, condition responses.
0: Um, finally, um, how much chatter are you, either of you seeing about, um, January 20th?
1: Oh, I personally haven't been collecting, um, mm-hmm posts or, or, you know, looking into that closely, just because there's been such an overwhelming flood of stuff coming out and continuing to come out about the events yeah. of this past week. Yeah. Um, I mean, just from experience, historically speaking, I would not be surprised at all that there would be some calls to action around that. Um, I think the the thing to watch is sort of the volume of that yeah. And, yeah. and whether people are actually posting evidence um, of, of starting to plan for that. You know, there, there was a whole host of evidence, like photos and posts on social media saying people were, you know, um, on their way to the Capitol. You know, could yeah. they pick someone up on the way who wanted a ride? Into Washington D.C. instead of um, uh, flying in, so that they could bring firearms, things like that. So I would keep an eye on concrete planning mm-hmm. and evidence.
0: What about you, Alexander?
2: Yeah, same here. Um, it's uh, difficult to kind of hack away uh, at the all of the um, all of the posts regarding January sixth and its fallout. Um, so, uh, you know, I've seen, I've seen, you know, a poster too about, uh, you know, sort of threatening to, uh, bring arms into the Capitol and to actually have a, uh, sort of rebellion, an armed rebellion, um, on, uh, you know, the event of inauguration day, but, um. again, they're they're just not really that clearly thought out. You know, there's just this like weird, vague idea of having, you know, thousands of patriots marching down the street armed and they think, you know, they'll just be facing the Capitol Police again or something, you know, and that, you know, saying, you know, the police could stand down if they want, you know, it it just doesn't seem that serious at this point. Mm -hmm. But, you know we don't know where they'll be taking it. You know, at this point, there's still sort of, there's some infighting over, you know, do we still support Trump? You know, uh, Trump has conceded. So I think that does take the air out of their tires just a little bit. Um, I mean, it's good to stay vigilant about it, but uh, hopefully we won't see anything near the uh, incidents that we saw on uh, the sixth, but, you know, I mean, the the sixth, you know, could have been a lot worse. You know, there were, there were bombs that were, uh, planted and and everything. So, I mean, again, I, I, I'm kind of stuck in this, this element of, um, getting really concerned about bombings.
1: Right. Yeah. I think, you know, with any event, um, because people often center around dates where they could do something, um, There's always these tiers of the most radical to just sort of chatter and like edgelord posting, that kind of thing. And, you know, the closer you get to sort of the center of the most radical people. (laughs) the the more clear the evidence is but all of it is usually a huge mess and it's really hard to sift through and find you know the 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 posts that you should pay attention to the most and Mm -hmm. the way these things unfold also play a part like we really can't overstate the uh, um, seriousness of Trump's own rhetoric in inciting this mob. Like it was, they were there, he said, you know, he encouraged the storming of the Capitol and and then they did it. And once everyone, once a few people started moving towards the federal building, it makes sense in terms of mob actions for other people to follow. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a really hard thing to say with certainty what will happen Um, but regardless, I think I landed the camp of we should absolutely be prepared for these things. And the events of this week showed that we were not.
0: Well, thank you both. It's been a terrific conversation and, and it's such an important beat. Um, I mean, incredibly important now. And I, um, I praise both of you for your work. Thanks for coming on.
1: Thank you for having us. Um, hopefully it stays on the forefront of people's awareness.
2: Yeah, it's it's been really uh, it's been really enlightening, and I appreciate uh, uh, y'all's work. Thanks for having us. Sure. So you can
0: continue to follow CJR's coverage of the fallout from this and from the ongoing fights at CJR.org through our daily email newsletter, The Media Today, and on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening. See you next week.